God reveal your glory by showing us Christ through the preaching of your word. That is uh, encouraging song in light of what we're going to do in the next few moments, which is see the glory of God in the person of Christ from the scripture. Please take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 6 through 10 for this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, that is God's rest, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David so long afterward, and the word's already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered from his works, as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. He will add his blessing to its reading for us this morning. You can be seated. Children can be dismissed to children's church. As we come to Hebrews chapter 4, I have to stress for you that what we hold in our hand is unparalleled good news. There is not a good news that matches the breadth, the scope of this good news. Let me ask a couple probing questions. If you were to get good news, maybe have you heard someone come to you and say, I have some news for you. You want the good news or the bad news first, right? If you were to get good news, who would it come from? Well, it seems logical it would come from Someone you know. Maybe more importantly, someone who knows you. If someone came to you who doesn't know you and says, Good news, I have tickets to the ballet. You don't know me very well. You describe that as good news. <laughs> so first we would say it's going to come from someone whom I know and someone who knows me. Second, when would you get the good news? Say someone comes to you and says, I have tickets to the Packer game and they told you tomorrow and what would your responsibility be say someone comes to you and says I have tickets to the ballet maybe that's some of you because they know you and they know that would be good news or maybe they say you have tickets to the Packer game because they know you and they know that would be good news and they say I can give you the tickets now because the Packer game is at 3.30 something right okay now, what would your responsibility be if, in fact, that was good news? So whichever gift you were going to get, what if they said, it will only cost you $3,000? Uh, okay, that sounds like the good news a, a salesman gives. Not really good news. So this is really good news. And there's never been news as good as this. So, to help us understand 
who has spoken the good news. Uh, Michaela, I have another slide. You have it up already. This slide represents a, a part of biblical literature called chiasm. Now, you don't need to know it, and you don't even need to take interest in this, other than perhaps the yellow font. But maybe you're the kind of person who's a little bit geeky, and you think, oh, I love this stuff. Okay, here's the way a chiasm works. When a Bible teacher finds a chiasm, he gets really excited because it's very clear what the main point is. Sometimes you can preach a Bible passage, and you can miss the main point. Chiasms guard us from that. So they don't happen very often, especially in the New Testament. But here is what seems to be a chiasm. All it means is A on the top matches A on the bottom, B and B, C and C, D and D, E and E. Now, if we took time to read through the top, the good news came to us just as it did to them. But the word they heard did no good because they weren't united in faith with those who listened. The faithful enter into rest. The faithless shall not enter into rest. The work was finished from the foundation of the world. And then the middle point, the one which there's no duplicate, that tells you where the author was getting to and where he's coming out of, okay? So it tells you the main point. And the main point is God has spoken. We see it in verse 4. That's the title of my sermon. God has spoken. Thank you, Michaela, for showing that. The main idea, then, of this paragraph takes us back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. For in many times God has spoken, sometimes through prophets, but now by his own Son. God has spoken. So if you're getting good news, and it's better news than has ever been spoken, who does it come from? God. God. God is the first and the greatest herald of good news. And this is a wonderful synopsis of that good news. The good news spoken by God is, in fact, news spoken as a warning. But it's news spoken as a warning in time to avoid the danger. Not right after you've been hit by a car. Boom! Watch out! This is good news spoken in time. And it's good news because it's not news that says, hey, I have $3,000 tickets. It's good news that says, hey, be careful. Don't miss the salvation. All you must do is rest. And that makes it great news. So God speaks good news in the form of a warning. While there's still time to receive his salvation. And the good news is that our salvation is offered to us simply in resting. Let me pray. And then teach these four verses. Lord Father, I, I pray that today would be a day of your salvation. That as you are the author and perfecter of faith, you are the Lord of, of spiritual harvest. This good news proclaimed to a group of people 
who have come together in adoration, maybe curiosity, maybe a friendliness to religion, but we are gathered here under this synopsis, this, this clear, brief explanation of your good news. I pray, Father, that your spirit would work through the heralding of it, that you would receive glory as you give life spiritually where there was death, as your people rejoice in the wonder of the good news they have already believed, and as ultimately we do as we had just sung, we pray, show us Christ. God, reveal your glory and show us Christ through the preaching of your word. We pray this to you in faith and joy and in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if God is the one who spoke the good news, I want to give two main emphasis for what it is God has said that is good. So two points are going to come out this morning. The first point is going to come from verses 6 and 7. So if you're still holding your Bible, in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. Okay. The good news of salvation has not yet been received by everyone. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he points to a certain day. Today. Today. The first main point comes from those verses and it sounds like this. God speaks good news while it's still today. While there's still time. While there's still time. God speaks good news while there is still time. Saying through David, again in verse 7, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So chronology is going to matter a little bit. Matters to the author. It's going to matter just a little bit. All right, let's start with, break down these two verses. Since therefore it remains for some to enter rest. Look back at verse 5. Just let your eyes go up a little bit to verse 5. And again, in the passage he said, they shall not enter rest. So right away, we know that there was a full generation of people in the Exodus story who got to the border of the promise, the place of God's rest, and said, we don't believe. And God said, you shall not enter my rest. However, that's not the last day the good news was delivered to people. It comes again in Psalm 95, 400 years later. 400 years from the time that generation was cast out to wander in the wilderness until the next generation would receive the promise. Since it remains for some to still enter the rest. So we understand right away that Hebrews 4 is not meant to be a historical narrative telling us what happened during the Exodus. It's using the Exodus as an analogy, as an illustration for what we need today. We need today to hear the good news. Now, we know that the good news to enter into God's rest remains past that generation because 400 years later, 
David in Psalm 95, or attributed to David, in Psalm 95, David says, enter into God's rest as long as it is today. Now we learn two things about that, or from that. We learn first, the rest that the Exodus generation was invited to, but in unbelief, lost, was not the last invitation. 400 years later, David's generation hears the same invitation. That's good. We learn a second thing. David's generation, at the time of writing Psalm 95, is living where? In the land of promise. Yet, the good news message, enter into God's rest, is still being proclaimed. You must receive the proclamation to enter into God's rest. You must believe in the promise entering into God's rest. So we know that whatever Exodus generation was supposed to enter into was not the last account of rest. There's something more. God has spoken a warning in time for our good. It is just as relevant for the Exodus generation to hear the warning, enter into my rest, as it was for David's generation 400 years later, enter into my rest, as it is right now, today. Today. Enter into God's rest. Today. There is a divine warning. It is applicable for us today. Let me say it this way. If you treat this saving invitation lightly, if you tempt God by trying to see how far you can presume upon his patience, you will forfeit his rest. As long as it is called today, you hear the message and you say, yeah, but tomorrow will be today, too. You tempt the patience of God himself. How many days that are today do you assume you can hear the invitation to enter into his rest, reject it, and then have some presumed date in the future where, well, that day I'll stop rejecting it. That day, in fact, I will enter into his rest. How many days do you assume you can wag your head in disbelief, but then someday embrace? As long as it is called today, that warning, what I mean is from 2 Peter chapter 3. You can turn there if you would like. I'm going to read it. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll read from verse 4 to 10. 2 Peter 3, 4 says this, Some will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our ancient fathers fell asleep, all things are exactly the same from the beginning of creation. Every today is just another today. Don't try to tell me that the todays are going to become tomorrows. They're all just todays. That's the concern for Peter. For they deliberately overlook this fact. The heavens existed long ago. Earth was formed out of water 
and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that then existed was deluged with water and it perished. There was a world before this world where the todays ended. That is, the flood. There was a todays that came to an end. And God in judgment punished everyone that was outside of his rest. But do not overlook this one fact. I'm in verse 8, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise the way some people regard slowness. But our Lord is patient. Not wishing for any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Just like the todays from creation to flood eventually became tomorrow. The days from flood to the second coming of Christ will eventually stop being todays. So as long as it's called today, enter into his rest. Because the todays are not guaranteed. Todays will run out. So the urgent appeal. While it is called today, repent and harden not your heart. This message spoken by God is good news because it's delivered to us in time. It's delivered to us in time. Now, I can't guarantee that it will always be in time. In fact, I'm positive it won't always be in time. But it's in time now, and it's good news. The second thing I want to highlight for you is this. God, who has spoke the good news says the good news is our rest. God spoke good news of rest. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay. There's some great things for us to learn here. Let's, let's start walking through these verses. If Joshua had given them rest. Now, I don't, I don't know if any of you, I, I grew up using the King James Bible, and, and if you're following me as I read, and you're using a King James Bible, you might have just went, wait, what did he say? Because uh, actually, the King James Bible is the one translation that uses the word Jesus instead of Joshua, which we're going to explain in a second. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Rest. If in Exodus, the second generation had received rest, and if that rest was meant to be the promised land, if that was meant to be the goal of God's redemptive plan for them, then the story ends. Today's are over. They're in rest. David's reading Psalm 95. Welcome, everyone, to the day of rest. 
and the days are over. But that is not the rest God had planned for his people. The land was always meant as an analogy of God's ultimate rest. The rest they're in danger of forfeiting would be forfeited through unbelief and must be pointing to something else entirely. Now, in order to help us understand, the word Jesus matters. That's the word. If, verse 6, uh, verse 8, if Jesus had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So the, the reader of the Greek Bible had a bit of an advantage over us because they had to think. They had to think. Which, by the way, it's interesting to me that all of a sudden Joshua is used as the one who led them into the promised land, not Moses. So maybe, whoever the author is, meant for the reader to have to wrestle with Jesus. Doesn't say Moses, that would have been clear. Doesn't say Jesus, that would have been clear. Doesn't say Joshua, that would have been clear. But he says, Jesus. Joshua, Jesus, same word. Okay. So let's read it again, verse 8. For if blank had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Hmm. Can, with everything we know to be true about God's plan of redemption, can we put the word Jesus in there and it not contradict the rest of the Bible? No, we can't. And I have no idea why anyone would. But they did. If Joshua had given them rest. So in other words, there's something Jesus does give that finishes the invitation to come to rest. There is something Joshua gave when he led them across the Jordan that left them needing better rest. So if Jesus had given them rest, story's over. That's the rest that we're all to receive by faith. But if Joshua had in fact given them the rest that God planned, then why does God still say, come into my rest in Psalm 95? The use of Joshua instead of Moses makes the Greek reader answer a rhetorical question. If Joshua had given us the promise by letting David's generation be in the land, then why does God still call us to enter his rest? Rhetorical question. Because, the reader says, this is not ultimately the plan of God for his people. But there's more. Verse 9. <laughs> the rest is called Sabbath rest. Just to be clear. And just to tie this rest ultimately to God and not any temporal promise. It's called Sabbath rest. It is their participation in the very rest of God. Look back up to verses 3 and 4. We have already talked about God's rest. Chapter 4 and verse 3. We who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although, 
God's works, so his, referring to God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his work. We are invited to enter into the completed work, rest of God. Sabbath, rest. When God completed the work of creation, he rested. So his people must, after hoping and work, enter into rest. Listen to Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Blessed are those who die after the completed promise of God, that is Christ, because now in faith they abide in his rest. Verse 10. Verse 10 starts with a conjunction. The word for ties us back up to verse 9. For whoever enters God's rests, rests from his own work, as God did from his. Now here is the concluding question about good news. Whoever enters God's rest must rest from his own work as God did from his. Remember, this is meant to simply be good news. Spoken by God in time for you to enjoy a free gift. So let's go back to the tickets. Let's go back to the tickets. I have uh, ballet tickets or Packer tickets. I'm trying to appeal to everybody. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's working. Some of you are like, no thank you, and no thank you. Okay. <laughs> Packer tickets and ballet tickets. Opera tickets. I don't I don't know. I don't I can't think of anything beyond the Packer game, apparently. So, okay. Packer tickets and whatever else it is that you enjoy. And you say, that is wonderful. Thank you for offering them to me. Here is $1,000. And they say, no, no, no. I want to give these to you as a gift. Yes, I understand that, but I think a real respectable person would not be such a debtor to another person. I will pay for them. Well, well, hold on. I, I want to give a gift. I, I'm, I'm joyful in giving this to you. I know you are, but it's not about you. It's about me. Take the $1,000. I will not take the $1,000, but I will give this gift to someone else. You see the picture. Those who are going to receive his gift to rest must rest from their own working, as God did, because the rest we're called to is called Sabbath, God's rest the blissful rest that Joshua could not give but Jesus does give 
is unbroken rest. It's the final perfection which has been prepared by the sacrifice of Christ, the heavenly high priest. At the time when the author wrote the book of Hebrews, there was another writer, a Christian writer, non-canonical, um, but another Christian writer named Ezra, and he said this to the Christians, the paradise is open, the tree of life is planted, the age to come is prepared, plenty is provided, the city is built, rest is appointed, goodness is established, wisdom is perfected. It's done. Come rest in it. And to the person who says, I will pay my due before I receive your gift. There is no gift. He highlights something of the gospel here by inviting us to Sabbath rest. We spoke about this back when we were going through Exodus. And we talked about what is the Christian's relationship to the Sabbath. Do you remember that? And I encourage you to try to implement a deliberate observance of Sabbath. I hope that you're doing better with that than I am. I'm not doing great, and you can follow up with me in a couple weeks and ask if I'm getting better. Deliberately worshiping by setting aside a time when all of your household knows we're not just lazy, we're worshiping the Lord and observing rest. There, there is a declaration benefit to saying, now we rest. Let's understand what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was meant to be a sign. But in regard to a sign, anytime the substance, the thing the sign pointed to, anytime the substance comes, the sign loses its authority, right? So when you get the substance, the sign takes a different role. When the reality comes, the sign is over, and since, as Jesus said of himself, one greater than the temple has come, then Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, if you're invited by God, while it's still time, to enter into the rest that is Jesus, Sabbath rest, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If you're invited to enter into Jesus, then you can hear these words in Matthew 11, as I've mentioned, I think, twice before. Matthew 11, Jesus says to the people who are, they're, they're criticizing him for not observing the Saturday Sabbath. His disciples aren't observing the Saturday Sabbath. And he says this, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my identity, my authority upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your Sabbath rest amounts to a total dependence 
on God's rest for you. Has God done everything necessary for your salvation? Yes, it truly is finished. Your invitation to enter into that rest must include the end of your personal effort and total trust, therefore, in all of his efforts. How can you actually depend on the Lord and display that dependence that you look ultimately to him for provision. If, if I were to invite you to spend the next week, if we, at the, at the end of the service, ushers will be at the back door and they'll hand out a small journal. And it's a log. And I want you to log what you did with every waking hour. And then when you come back next week, we'll have everyone stand and we'll have them read what they did with all the hours they were awake. Would there be occasions in your journal that would say that you functioned, you walked by faith and not by sight? Or would your journal say, you have what you say you believe, that you rest in Christ, but I see over here that you toil endlessly for some sense of security. I wonder if next Sunday, when we got together, we would hold our journal up and we would say, your journal says something different than your theology says. Your journal seems to indicate you can do better to guarantee your security your, your journal seems to say that you're not really interested in the spiritual welfare of anyone else. Your, your journal says that you might be a, a workaholic or a, addicted to entertainment, but it, it doesn't seem to indicate that you operate in a way that shows you rest. In Christ. So I'm not going to hand out journals. But I do want to leave you with that thought. And I want you to prayerfully consider your week. Yes, the sign of Sabbath is completed when the, what the sign pointed to is here. Jesus. But I wonder if you observe in your Tuesday, in your Wednesday, in your Sunday a restfulness, a function that says, I don't have to keep achieving my own securities. I am kept in the rest of God in Christ. The next paragraph after this one, verses 14, 15, and 16, are going to explain to us how Christ is our confident rest. He's the high priest. He has completed the atonement for us. The work is over. He is our rest. And 14, 15, and 16 will explain 
how Christ is our faithful high priest. All right. Now, there's a bit of a rock in a hard place, okay? Um, rock in a hard place. Can you just say rock in a hard place? Okay. Because I really want you to get it. I'm gonna, I have, I think, about five minutes left. And I want to be really clear. I've spoken about people who are doing their own work to try to get God's promises. And then I've shown you here from Hebrews 4 how God's promise of rest is ours in Christ. Go to Christ. Enter Christ and rest there. Rest there. You say, but you don't know how bad I am. Exactly why you need Christ. Enter Christ. Okay. Now I want to finish by just giving you a description of two different responses to the message, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, okay? So God's promise is you need Jesus. He is your rest. There are two different ways in history that people respond to that. The first one I want to show you is from Romans 1. In Romans 1, the second half of the chapter, it says this. A response of unbelief looks like this. When God had revealed himself from heaven, what could be known about God being plain to them, because God clearly showed it to them ever since the creation of the world. But, though it had been made clear to them, they did not honor God, they did not give thanks to God, but they exchanged the very glory of God for idols. Idols looked like that were shaped like men or birds or animals. Romans 1 describes a response to the promise of God. Enter into my rest, which is Jesus Christ. And some people said, hmm, how about if we make idols? Like man and birds. And we think that sounds absurd. But what if we did bring the logs back next, next week? What if we brought the journals back? Would your journal say that you adore what? Images? Idols? But that's not the only response to the good news. God, the evangelist, speaks good news. Enter into my rest, which is Jesus. And then listen to this. Here's a description of people who say, Okay, Jesus. Here's a description. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. When our gospel <coughs> was spoken to you, it's obvious that it came in power from the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So, Paul writes Thessalonians and he says, when I did what Rob's doing right now, and when I spoke the good news to you, it was obvious that it came to you in the power of the Spirit and conviction. And so maybe you're wondering, right now you're saying, well, as long as it's today, don't turn the message away, don't turn the invitation away as long as it's today. But am I? Am I turning the message away? Well, I don't know. Are, are you forming idols in your life? Or are you, listen to this, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Hmm. 
You received the word of God, even though it was difficult, but you received it with great joy. You became, in your change, like an example to other believers. You turned to God from idols to serve the living true God. And as you stand today, you wait with joy for God's own Son, who is your rest, to return from heaven. The Son whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians. Those are very different responses, aren't they? If I could summarize them, just make them really brief. When the gospel was declared by God, there were some people who didn't approve of it, and instead they made idols. Maybe their idol was the idol like man. Maybe that was man's hard work, man's righteousness, man's good neighboring, man's good stewardship. Maybe birds and other living things was the way they spent their time and the hobbies they enjoyed and the things that they gave themselves to in full passion. But that was one faithless response. I'm so grateful for this other description. You became imitators similar to other Christ followers. You took the word and brought it close to you, even in all of your afflictions. You said, yeah, but God has promised and he is faithful. No matter what is happening, you said he is God, let him do what seems good. You turned from idols to the true God. And now as you sit here today, you are waiting joyfully for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You are eager to proclaim to each other the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming again. And participating in communion, as we will now, it magnifies your joy. It magnifies your rest. You say, yes. The first generation to hear, come and rest in my promises, did not. The second generation, who was already in the land of promise, was invited to enter into God's rest. And today, as long as it's called today, I am pleading with you to put off every single other hope and hope only in Jesus Christ. Hope only in Jesus Christ. To hope in Jesus Christ and something else is not hoping in Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. How does that start? I'm going to give you two things. One, 1 John says, if you confess that you could only hope in Jesus Christ, he is faithful to forgive you of all your sins. I would say it starts there. If you confess 
He said, I heard that, I believe that, and I would say that. And then I would just personally love to talk to you after the service today. When we're done with communion and we sing our final song, I would really love to talk to you about that. Hope only in Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll move into communion. Father, the good news is sometimes so magnificent that it's, it's almost challenging for us to state it plainly. But your word has been faithful and you've ministered to us by the scriptures. And, and we see clearly in this text, it's a good news from you. It's a good news in time. And it's a good news to come to Jesus and rest. Father, I pray that even now as your spirit is living and active and present and your word is sharp and precise and effective, that today would be a day of salvation. That as we come even now to communion, we celebrate the Lord's sacrifice that makes our resting possible as we proclaim Jesus. That people would see our good work and glorify you, our Father. Honor yourself in the way that you continue to unfold your undeniable plan of redemption. In Jesus' name. Amen.